right here? Is there a switch? switch for that? I should probably learn the switch, so I should do it too. All right, uh, guys, let's go ahead and pray. Go ahead, God, thank you so much for bringing us together today to uh, listen to your word. God, it, the, the Bible, it's so incredible. It is, it is the, the sword of, of your spirit. It's the way the Holy Spirit, you know, God, you speak to us through the Bible. It's not just a book. Like, so it's an incredible thing. And I pray yes, that we God. can uh, feel inspired by it today, uh, that it can impact us, that your spirit can work in us this morning. God, to be inspired, convicted, in love with you. So, God, we're great, we're great for you. We love you. We need you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we are going to start in John chapter 2 today, okay? So, we have been working through Ephesians. Uh, I, I wanted to sidestep today just a little bit because I, want to, I just want to talk about, I just want to talk about Jesus today. Wow. I don't like an issue concept, right? Talking about Jesus at church. I, you know, I just want to hyper-focus in on Jesus today. I was thinking about the scripture this last week. It's uh, uh, Matthew chapter 16. We're not going to go there, but I'll just say it. Uh, Jesus questions Peter and the disciples. He's like, who do you say I am? You know, he's, people say I'm this, people say I'm that. But who do, you, who do you say I am? Like it mattered to Jesus what Peter thought about it. Yeah. It matters to Jesus and to God what we think about, like what we think about Jesus, mm-hmm. right? So obviously, I'm going to extend that to not just, but to us here today. Like Jesus cares what you think about, him. not like oh man, I hope they like me. Not that kind of like care, you know what I mean? But like you know, it matters to God how we view him and how we view Jesus. And I'll put it this way: it is so important that each one of us in here, personally, individually, has a fulfilling, inspiring relationship with God and with Jesus. Now, you know, Brian, did, thank you for the welcome, Brian. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like Brian mentioned, well, there's going to be well, different phases in that, right? You know, maybe we feel like we're kind of lost in it. Maybe we feel like we, we've just got it on tight. Well, no matter where you're at today, it, it matters. Man, you have a fulfilling, inspired relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about this to myself. Like, what inspires me about Jesus? And I was, I was thinking back to when I, I was first being studied the Bible with, and I was first learning about Jesus, and like how crazy of an experience that was for me, somebody not uh, having any faith, learning about this guy, Jesus, and now having faith in him, just an absolutely surreal experience, and, and man, I even like, I even brought the, the Bible today that they gave me, uh, when they start, started studying the Bible with me, it, here it is, right, it's like, it's an it's a NIV 1989, you know, right, and, and it's a study version, so it's got notes underneath it, like, I have no idea, when I, by the way, when, when the guy gave it to me, it did not look like this, okay, like, it was actually, like, it, it was a nice Bible. And so I have no idea why he would do that. I don't know why he would give me a Bible like this. But, well, probably just that faith. Anyway, so it's really inspiring to, to even just use this Bible to think about it. And basically, I want to talk about five things today that inspired me about Jesus. And it's my hope that today you can walk away with, I mean, just at least one thing that you can grab a hold of. Like, you know what? I see this in Jesus, and I love that, and that convicts me, or that inspires me, or that fills me with hope, or that fills me with excitement, or that fills me with, you know, peace, or whatever it is, right? Because, you know, I use the word inspire. You might have an idea in your head. It, you know, I'm not talking about, like, you're just crazy and you're yelling. It could be that, I guess. But, you know, that you're deeply just grabbed over by Jesus. So five things for me. I'll break it down like this. And it's in no particular order. But first one we're going to look at today is Jesus' love for the church. That inspires me. Jesus' love for the lost inspires me, for people. It, it inspires me. Uh, Jesus' love for God inspires me. 
Jesus' love for his friends. So like not just the church, but the people that were right next to him. That inspires me. And the last one I'm going to hit is, well, Jesus' love for me. That inspires me. Yeah. So that's how we're doing this today. So we're going to start off in uh, uh, John. You know what? I said John 2. Let's actually start off in, in Matthew chapter 9. We'll, we'll talk about Jesus' love for the lost. This is not going to be a new scripture for you guys, but that's okay. It's a really good scripture. Starting off in Matthew chapter 9, of course, it's verse 35. Let's get reading. Uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So, uh, of course, I'm going to stop here and talk about that. Uh, so what's really interesting is that it says Jesus preached the good news. Now, when you read about the good news... Uh, uh, after Jesus, what it's talking about is, preaches, is preaching Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us, right? So that we can be forgiven of our sins and he's raised from the dead. We'll be raised, you know, at the end of the day too. When Jesus was preaching the good news, it specifies that he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, which is like its whole other kind of thing of good news. It's similar, but it's like it's distinct. But the point is he was going around to towns and villages preaching to everybody, this message of the kingdom, which maybe would you know been a whole sermon to get into, was basically bringing this concept of, of hope to people. The way the Bible would describe it is he was uh, making you know straight the paths, right? Like he was he was uh, making level the way for people to God. And, and so the one way to interpret that I think is no matter how religious you were, right? And I think of a guy like Nicodemus who was religious, and Jesus said, "Man, you're lost, even though you're you know you're a Pharisee." So like it, no matter how religious you were, he would bring you down, and no matter how religious you weren't, it would bring you up, right? And so it's like okay, it doesn't matter how moral you look; it's about having you know faith. So anyway, he would like level the path to Jesus. And so this good news of the kingdom brought hope to a lot of people no matter where they were. It's an incredible idea. So one, that he would go around towns preaching this good news to people. I mean, that's in and of itself amazing. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into his harvest field. And so Jesus says, okay, this is the famous line, like, you know, uh, or this, yeah, sorry, this is the famous line where Jesus notices that people are harassed and helpless, right? Like like sheep without a shepherd. Well, that wasn't just like some, like, like Jesus knew that because he had been to different towns and been in different people's lives and talked to all kinds of different people. He knew how hopeless they were. He knew, like, personally, intimately, yes, because he's God and he knows everybody, but on a face-to-face -face level, like, he interacted with people in a way where he knew that they were harassed and helpless. This ain't me, guys. Not, not inwardly, not naturally, not by myself. I want to walk through the world and keep to me. I don't want to care to think about other people's problems. I got my own problems. I got stuff going on in my life. But Jesus looked at people and had interactions with them in such a way as like he knew he cared about them. He saw them as hurting and helpless. Yeah. That inspires me because that ain't me. I'm a selfish person on my own in my flesh, right? So this inspires me to look at people around me and like actually care about people. Like, isn't that an interesting concept? Like, what if you actually cared about the person you were talking to, uh, you know, the checkout line or whatever? And so that inspires me because I don't naturally think that way. But when I hear about that, I'm like, wow, that's really cool. I want to do that. I want to be like Jesus in that way. I want to care about people deeply. So that's one thing that inspires me. Okay. Amen. That's an easy one. Let's move on to John chapter 2. 
In John chapter 2, we're going to talk about Jesus' love for God's church. Um, this is one of the scriptures when I was first learning the Bible. Man, it really stuck out to me because it's not the kind of Jesus you think of when you grow up around uh, the Catholic Church. And you've got the big old family Bibles that like literally you can hurt somebody with. And it's got like a picture of Jesus on the front of the Bible. And it looks like he's got like conditioner's hair. And, you know, like I grew up around that image of Jesus. So I read this and I was like, wow, this, this is a little bit different than what I thought I knew. Okay, so John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. But after this, he went down to Capernaum. With his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found a man selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables uh, exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. And he, it, so just real quick, it, it doesn't say Jesus whipped people, all right? So people have that idea, but just move on that. If he was getting the, the animals out, it doesn't say he was whipping people. So, okay, don't go do that. Um, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Verse 16, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So this is something that his disciples were like, wow, okay, that's right. This is written about Jesus. Zeal for God's house is going to consume Jesus. And of course, like you may, what is that today? Well, God's house today, we've talked about it. It's us, it's the people in this room. It's not the room, it's the people in the room. We are God's house. And so like the first question that I think about is, okay, well, if Jesus is zealous for God's house, and I, as a disciple, I want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, what does it mean for me to be zealous for God's house today? And of course, you take that, it's like, it means being zealous about you guys, you, in here. I need to be zealous about you. Anyway, so what, what inspires me about this? Um, <clears throat> Jesus looked at this situation. Let's break this down a little bit. <clears throat> Some of you guys are probably familiar. In the Old Testament, for forgiveness of sins, they would sacrifice animals, yes? <clears throat> and so the Passover was something that happened once a year where they would make a pilgrimage to the temple. And they would make sacrifices for sin. And there was the once a year sacrifice for all the sin of Israel. The high priest would go into the, the Holy of Holies, the inner part of the temple, the Make one sacrifice for, for everybody, for all Israel. But people would also be obligated to make their own sacrifices. And so they'd bring different, you know, animals and doves. And, and if you read like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, like specific sins required specific animal sacrifices. So it was like a whole system, right? And so what was really interesting here is that people took that. <clears throat> and, and they, what I see going on here is that people took that whole idea, that whole system, this whole special day of the Passover, and they commercialized it. They turned it into um, a business. Okay, that's kind of what I see going on here. Maybe you disagree. But what I see going on here is, you know, instead of people, you know, on their pilgrimage, bringing their own, their own sacrifices, their own animals that they raised, and that was the command to do that, people are like, no, don't worry about it. I'll just sell you something here. I'll make a little money off it, too. And so they took this, what was meant to be a very intimate, personal Thing where you are going to God, you're getting your sins forgiven, you're just, you're coming with the, to grips with the reality of what that is, because like that's why, you know, it was the sacrificial system, God was trying to show the people, hey, like sin has a cost, and so the whole, the whole idea of the sacrificial system was to show that cost, and you would have to pay that cost, right, and it was, I mean, you would like, it was gruesome, right, you know, you bloodlet animals, and some of us in here had an interesting conversation last night about, you have personal experience with that, like that's like a thing, right, you know, you wanted to feel the weight of that. And so people come in and say, don't worry about it. I'll, just, I'll sell you one. Just come here and I'll sell you And so they took it. What was at the heart of this event? The sacrament, And they took the heart out of it and said, don't worry about it. Just give me some money and I'll take care of it for you. I'll yeah. give you your animal. 
and so they took the heart of this thing out of it. And they commercialized this very special event. And so, like when you look at that and you understand the big deal of what Passover was, you can see you start to see maybe why this bothered Jesus. Yeah. He's like, this is a special thing. This is my God's house. This is uh, my Father's house. This is like people's personal worship for God, and you have ruined it. Like you've made it something totally different than what it should be on a heart level. Externally, it still looked the same. Animals were still being sacrificed. People are still gathering together. But inwardly, there was a heart of it that was robbed from the whole process. And so Jesus was not going to have any of that. So he flipped the tables and he drove, not, didn't whip people, but made the whip and drove animals out. And what inspires me is that Jesus cared about what was at the heart of what we do right. in church. Right. You, again, you, you uh, take this, you draw this conclusion about being zealous for us here today, for God's house here today. It's like, man, it inspires me because at the end of the day, what I care about more than anything else in this room is that we, we're, we're, we're not just trying to be flashy. Yeah. We're not just trying to have a show. We're not just trying to get people to look right on the outside. But we want people to have a deep personal relationship with God. There's nothing wrong with having flashy music. Nothing evil about that. Nothing evil about people looking good on the outside. Nothing evil about that. But if we're pursuing that at the expense of the, the heart, then there's a problem. Yeah. Focus on the heart. So that inspires me. Jesus cared about the heart of religion and worship. Yeah? Okay. Third thing that inspires me. Jesus cared about his friends. John chapter 20. And I'm going to do a little bit of, sorry, John chapter 21. I'm going to do a little bit of, um, I'm going to do a little bit of work here. I'm going to show you the work that I do to get here that makes me think this. Because, I mean, there's a lot of scriptures you could go to for this specific thing. Uh, Jesus, you know, yeah, in, in John is saying, you know, I, I no longer call you, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I've got, but I call you my friends. Uh, of course, he's washing his disciples' feet. Like, there's a lot of really good scriptures you can look at for this. Like, and for all of these today, there's a lot of scriptures you can look at to be inspired in the same way. You, you'll have your own, and that's fine. I'm just showing you mine. This inspires me about the friendships Jesus, is, Jesus has or had in, in you know, uh, because of the way his friends act when they see him after he resurrected the dead. Okay, so let's read it. Uh, this is John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened this way. Verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Verse 3. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So, the, so they went out and got in the boat. That, they, uh, that night they caught nothing. So let's look at this situation. This is at the end of John. And this is shockingly familiar to the setup of when Jesus first called Peter and, and James and John. It's like the exact same situation going on here. So that's just like a little beautiful narrative bookend we see happening in the Bible. It's really cool. Um, and what's going on here is this is after Jesus has died. He's come back to his disciples twice at this point. But still, what's really interesting is that his disciples have not engaged back into ministry. Right. They've not gone back in the yeah. they're, wait, they're sitting around. They went back to fishing. And so when I read verse 3, and this is, this is what I mean. Like I'm doing some work here today, and, and maybe it's conjecture. And if you disagree, that's, that's totally fine. But when I see verse 3... 
He says, I'm going out to fish. When I see Peter say that, I picture just like a lost, downtrodden guy. Yeah. He's not out yeah. doing the things Jesus told him to do. He's like, man, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to go fish. I don't, I don't really want to make light of it. I make some jokes there. Like, I'm going to fish. I don't want to do it. Like he is, I guess I just did. But like, <laughs> like I see a genuinely like broken man here who's gone back to living a way of life that Jesus explicitly called him out of. Right. Explicitly. Like, said, don't fish for fish. Fish for men. Like, explicitly Jesus told him to do it. So he, we see, again, somebody who's a little bit lost. Okay? Um, what I love is that uh, the other guys look at him, they're like, dude, let's go. I'll go with you, man. Let's do it. So Peter, a little bit down. Friends care enough about him to go with him. They're like, all right, let's go. Verse 4. And they caught nothing, right? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Okay, so they do this whole thing, and, and this is the, the next time Jesus appears to him. He's like off in the shore, and, and just watching him. This is really, guys, is really cool. I love this so much. Um, uh, verse 5, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? They don't know it's Jesus. He says, uh, no, they answered. He said, verse 6, throw your net onto the right side of the boat. And you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul it, uh, the net in because of the large number of fish. So we get this really beautiful narrative thing going on here. That, the, that when Jesus first called his disciples, this is exactly what they were doing. And Jesus calling his disciples again, they're doing the exact same thing. So it's a really cool little narrative bookend to their story in, in, in John. And, and then it starts to click for them. They're like, wait. We've been here before. This, is, this has happened before. We know what's going on here. Uh, it's, uh, verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon, guys, check this out right here. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat. Towing the net full of fish. That's cool. You don't want to let that go. You get a lot of fish. For they were not far from the shore. Not about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. And there with fish on it. And some bread. This little interaction, it tells you so much, I think, about the relationship Jesus had. Well, specifically with Peter, but I think also his disciples. Because as soon as people, like, it's like, it's what... You know, you, you're in a situation, something really crazy happens to you, you don't even think about it, and you just, you just go off and you do it, you just react. Like, that's what happened with Peter. He, he realized it was Jesus. John was like, yo, dude, that's Jesus on the show. And Peter's like, doesn't, he, like, there's no computing time happening. He's just like, into the water. Right? Like, he like, dude, grabs his garment on, jumps into the water, and, and it's like, well, you could have sailed to, to shore. But Peter literally, like, he didn't care to think about it. He saw it was Jesus, and he swam to Jesus. That blows my mind, and that shows me just how much Peter loved and cared about Jesus, which, of course, would be a result of how much Jesus loved and cared about Peter. Right. And a little bit of evidence of this is, well, what was Jesus doing when Peter got to the shore? He was making him breakfast. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. He's got a fire going. He's got some fish on it and some bread. He's like, hey, man, you want, you want something to eat? You want to eat something, man? When I read this, and again, I'm doing some, I'm doing some work here internally, but when I read this, I just see guys that are close. Mm-hmm. Jesus cared about his friends. His friends cared about him. He called them his friends. I'm not just making that up. He says, you're not my friends. And here I think we see those friendships on display. 
And so the, that level of relationship inspires me. Mm-hmm. And man, that's really cool to see Peter just jump into the water. Like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. And think about it. He just, went, he just went after Jesus. I don't know. So a couple, I guess, right, okay. If I'm going to do some application here, there, there's a couple questions you could ask yourself. It's like, okay, do, do you do anything to run after Jesus the way Peter did? It's mm-hmm. maybe a question to ask. Maybe a question to you know ask yourself is this person we see Jesus is making meal and breakfast. And are we that kind of friend to other people are this? Look for people, provide for people. It's inspiring. I look at that and I'm like, man, I kinda wish I was in that boat. I kinda wish I was sitting next to that fire with Jesus and the disciples. I I feel like that'd just be a really fun time. Really, really just good, emotionally deep time. So what have we done? Jesus' love for the lost, for the church, for friends. Okay. Jesus' love for God. Matthew chapter 26. Um, this, again, I said no particular order because this is probably one of the cornerstones of my faith in Jesus. Um, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. And I vividly remember studying out this passage behind the student union at Mexico State University with this Bible that still had Genesis in it. Uh, well, it still, has, it still has Genesis in it. But it's, it's, I had to print some of it and stick it in it. Um, and we were studying out this scripture. And remember, this was a turning point for me and my faith. It did, I put a lot of pressure on the scripture for you guys. It might not be for you. That's okay. But for me... I saw the Jesus in here, and I was like, I'm ready to follow. Let's go. Let's do this. Okay? So, Matthew 26, of course, this is after the Last Supper, before being arrested and going to the cross. That's the, and he's with some friends, and that's the interaction we're hopping in on here. Verse 36, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, "My, don't overlook this verse, guys. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Wow. Stay here and keep watch with me. So what did we just read? Jesus just had the last meal with his friends, and he is, this word, sorrowful, right? Here's my, here's my Greek thing for the day. This word in Greek, it's like, it's not just like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, no, it is, there is extreme emotional discomfort and turmoil going on behind this word. That's what it means. Jesus says, I am so scared. Now, there's, there's debate going on here whether or not he means I'm scared to die or I'm scared because I know I'm going to go have to die or I'm, so, I'm scared so much it feels like I'm dying. So when it says to the point of death, it's like we don't know for sure. Like, the point is, he is not doing that. Jesus is not okay. In this scripture, he's not. Jesus is at such an emotionally low place. He's like, guys, I just can you just be? I need to pray. Have you ever been there? Yeah. You're like, guys, I just it's enough. Can you pray? Can you just pray with me, please. I see my friends right there. That's what's going on. Here. You just come with me and pray. I'm not doing well. That's what Jesus just said. Verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground. You don't do that unless you're having a hard time. Okay. Don't just fall to the ground. And prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. 
Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak, which is the perfect summary of what he's feeling right now. Okay? Right now. Um, he went away a second time, verse 42, and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And he came back, and he again found them sleeping. So he, because uh, he found their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Three times, Jesus, feeling what he's feeling, goes to God and says, if there's another way, can we do that one? You, you hear what Jesus just said? God, if, if, if I cannot die on the cross... Can we do that option? If there's a way out of this, can we do that instead? Knowing full well there's not. And so what I see going on here is this incredible emotional death between Jesus and God. Jesus is not afraid to just lay it out, man. He's like, God, I don't want to do this. This is crazy, guys. This is the cross. This is why he came to earth. And he's saying, if there's another way, God, could we please do the other way? I'm scared. But he matches that. This is what's so inspiring. He matches that with, yet none as I will please you. So you guys heard of the concept of self-denial. We usually study it out when we talk about discipleship in Luke chapter 9. And right here we see the perfect example of self-denial. Jesus saying, I don't want this, but if it's what you want, then let's go. I'm ready to follow you. And so that kind of, what I see there is just an extreme devotion to God. Like whatever we may have felt at some point in life, we may have felt something similar like this, and I don't know, maybe even something exactly like it. I look at this and I pray through the scripture sometimes, and I'm like, God, I don't know that I will ever feel the way Jesus is feeling here, but I'm not feeling good right now. And God, if there's another way, can we do that way, please? I'm a scared about this. I don't like this. But coming to this place, but not as I will, but as you will. Man, that, that right there, I think, is Christian maturity. I think. If I'm just going to make a guess at it based on people I've listened to and stuff I've read, Christian maturity is to know God's will, know that it's different from what you want and feel and are happy about, but to follow God anyway. Right? That inspires me then. Because that's a close relationship with God. Lays it all out. Intent on following anyway. So this inspires me about Jesus' closeness with God. Okay, so what have we done? Uh, we, we did love for the lost, love for the church, love for his friends, devotion to God inspires me. The last thing, guys, of course, it's Jesus' love for me that inspires me. Uh, I don't know, well, I could turn to you know, a million different scriptures, but I'll just take it from this one. Because this is the scripture that inspired my faith in God in a huge way. Follow me. He's doing this for me. And it is so, I think it's so important that we remember that. You know, in the way that, the way that they phrase it, in, you know, Peter phrases it in Acts chapter 2. He's preaching that. Well, okay, let's do it. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, 
starting in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So this is, a, this is at another Passover. They're back, Passover, sorry, they're back together. And people from all over the known world have traveled to give their sacrifices. Like there's people from all over the place here that probably weren't there at the crucifixion. Okay? And, and Peter, preaching the first gospel sermon ever, says, you killed Jesus. There's probably people in this crowd that are like, yeah, I, I wouldn't, what are you talking about? At the end of the day, it's so important that we personalize what happens on the cross. Because it's really easy to get to a place where it's like, well, yeah, Jesus dies for people. Why get it? Jesus died for our sins. It's like, well, yes, but also, no, he died for your sins. You, personally. One way this was explained, it's like, okay, imagine you're the last person on earth. You and Jesus. There would still need to be a sacrifice for sin. Jesus would still die for just you. You'd do it. Jesus died for your sins. Of course, their response is when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is promises uh, for you and your children, all who are far off, for all whom our Lord, our God will call. Now that last verse should mean a lot to us because that's what it means it wasn't just for that crowd. It was for you and me in here today. That promise. Right? That 2,000 years from then, people on the other side of the world can be listening to the same message and have the same promise and the same hope and the same love offered to them. That we internalize that, man. Jesus died for me, loves me. And that's and, well, why does Jesus love for me, inspire me? It's like, well, have you met me? Right? Like, if you spend, like, a day alone with me, you wouldn't die for me. All right? Like, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. I don't know if you guys feel similar, but you're like, man, me? Are you serious? Like, do you know me? And here's the crazy truth of it is Jesus knows you better than anybody. And he still says, yeah, you. Done for you, man. I love you. These five things. Keep me grounded in Jesus. His love for other people, his love for the church, his zeal for it, right? His love for his friends, his love for God, and of course his love for me. Now I really hope you guys can walk away like just at least one. If you got more than one, that's really good. If it, you know, it doesn't even have to be the scriptures. It could be different scriptures that say the same thing or different things. But I think it's so important that we all have this connection with Jesus that keeps us going. Yes. I, I am going to pray out in the communion, but I do want to ask. Maybe you guys have had some time to think about it. I am putting you on the spot. What are things that inspire you guys about Jesus? This is not, I want to hear right now. This is not a rhetorical question. I'm asking you guys right here, right now, the church, you and me, we're having a conversation. What inspires you about Jesus? Yeah. I'd say, um, I mean, how really the scriptures. I think yeah. without reading the scriptures, I think more of the stuff that's you have this surreal kind of look of the, I say just how it really is, right? And yeah. his reactions yeah. um, to people. Um, how he's tired, sometimes he was irritated, sometimes he's frustrated, right? And I just think that's inspiring to me because it um, and still regardless, he he made you know, choices. Yeah, I appreciate that. Absolutely. And that's totally what I get out of the Garden of the City. I'm like, man, it's just a real guy. Uh, his Rocky. love for God what, and translated into his love for people that 
he had such a close relationship with God that he trusted him when he didn't understand him, when he wanted to change, you know, to, um, to take the cup from him. And that he knew a lot of people wouldn't follow him, but he still loved him and served him. Yeah. That's crazy, right? He fed the 5,000 knowing that they were there for the wrong reason. He fed them anyway. That's pretty cool. Um, I would say how he is willing to give us everything that we need, and even a lot of the time that we see in the Bible, I specifically think of the Seraphish woman, when we plead for what we want. And like with that, like how it wasn't part, it, it wasn't her time, it wasn't her children's time, and she pled with him, and he was more than willing and more than happy because he saw how much she desired to chase after him, that he'll always give us exactly what we need. And if we really want something badly enough and it's in God's plan, he will do everything to give that to us. There you go. Really, thank you guys. Can I say one last thing? Yeah. Sorry. I think throughout this, throughout the whole thing, he was okay with being misunderstood. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whoever, you know, name us in respondents fine. I just want to do like two or three, but during communion today, think about it. Think about what inspires you about Jesus. And I mean, this like isn't by accident. Like, I want to roll this into the rest of our stuff we're preaching on in Ephesians. We're going to be moving into a scripture next week that talks about having a, uh, a new life in Jesus. And, but, so you know, we're going to roll that into that. But it's so important that we talk about this, I think. So, yes, thank you for your responses. As we pray for communion, think about that. Think about what grips you about who Jesus is. Um, think, think about that as we pray uh, talk about it in our fellowship and uh, let's go to God we're praying God thank you so much for your son he is amazing and God it is amazing that almost wow almost 11 years ago now I I, I could, uh, bluntly go to some guys in church and say yeah I like a girl uh, baptize me so I can date her I could bluntly go to them and they would be like alright man let's talk about it like, God, because they believed that if they showed me who Jesus was, that would totally change my life. And it did. And that's what's faith in me. They, they gave me this Bible, which is like, that's crazy. This used to be a nice Bible. So God, thank you for the faith they have in you to change me. God, I pray we can grab a hold of who you are and who your son is. Just be grateful. Just be just be inspired by it. Be compelled by it. Be, you know, whatever word we want to use, be gripped by it. Uh, anchored by it. God, we thank you for your son dying for me. Mm -hmm. I pray we inter all internalize that today right now. It's like, yeah, for us. But no, he died for, for me. God, so help us just get that. Remind ourselves of that. Preach, preach that to ourselves every single day. God, and, and just be blown away by you and your love to us. Because, uh, you know, we, man, we really don't deserve it. And that's, like, why it's amazing. God, so we love you. And we're so grateful for you and your son. And we pray all this to your son's name. Amen. 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 Amen.